Um, when we first started the church in Sebastopol, somebody has actually reminded me because they're here from those days, and a few of you are as well, but she came up and said, I, was, I used to come back in the day, back in Sebastopol. When we started with 20 people, Barb and I would leave a service and we would sit on the couch and have lunch and mention every single person, and it took about five minutes. <laughs> and uh, so praise God, 20 people eight years ago, uh, no financial help anywhere except those 20 people and the Lord. And now to see what he's done, it's just amazing with a full staff and a church of this size and so many different ministries and people being blessed. We baptized 30 people a few months ago, and we've got 15 signed up again already. So that will be 45 people baptized in a matter of a few months. It's just an amazing thing, and all glory and honor to the Lord who's doing the work. Now to business to the business at hand of hearing a Bible study, Pastor Jim. Come on up here. Hello. How's everyone doing? Excellent. Let me just find my place here. Wow, what a privilege to be up here in the shoes of Dr. <laughs> Reinman. What an awesome, awesome pastor to be under. <laughs> This guy's awesome. Can we give a round of applause for Pastor Ross? This is this man who knows the scriptures so well and who has lived them out for the past 30 years and a man who's filled with the love of God for all of us. It's just incredible. So I'm so blessed to be here. And this is our favorite place to be as a family, my wife and three kids. We love being surrounded by all of you. We always want to be here. So thank you so much. And it's such an honor to share the word of God with you. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as I pray. We were in chapter 5 last week. Love the sound of those Bible pages flipping. Sounds good. All right, let's pray. Well, Father, as we gather in the name of your Son, Jesus, our desire is to hear your voice speak to us through the pages of Scripture. And so we ask that you would do that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'd like to open with this story. Back in 1967, there was a young teenage girl, a beautiful young lady, and she loved life, and, and she loved to ride horses, and she loved to go swimming, and she was planning her future. She had dreams of a family, a husband, two and a half kids in suburbia, the white picket fence, you know, all of that, all, the, all of those kinds of things, but one day, everything changed for this young lady. It was, a, it was a hot July afternoon, and she went to the lake with some friends to go swimming. And she dove into this lake, not understanding how shallow the lake was. And what happened to her devastated her. She had a horrible, horrible injury. She, she broke her neck, and she was paralyzed from the neck down. 
she would not be able to move her entire body from here down for the rest of her entire life. All of her dreams, all of her hopes were shattered on that day. And now, what could she do? How could she face life like this? This was certainly too much for anyone to bear. Well, over the next two years, as she grappled with these tough questions through, through prayer, seeking the Lord, conversations with Christian brothers and sisters who loved her, and through time and the Word of God, she found, she came to a place where she understood that our Lord, that our God, He is, he is able to use difficult situations for our good. Certainly the enemy of our soul, Satan, that wicked spirit, he sought to use this in her life to destroy her faith, to destroy her dreams and her hopes and, and to wreck her family. But she found that God's grace, his blessing, his favor, it was enough for her. And we know this woman as Johnny Erickson Tata. She's She's the founder of Johnny and Friends. It's an international ministry, and she, she advocates for people with disabilities all over the world. She gets them wheelchairs and, and fights for their rights in those third world countries where they don't have any rights, and she points them to Jesus Christ. She's authored over 46 different books, been on television shows. She has many different degrees, uh, doctorate degrees. I can't name them all. There's a whole bunch. And, and today, she's a happily married woman, even though she can't do the basic things that we take for granted, like washing her hair. You see, Johnny, she allowed the Lord to give her the right perspective. And in our text today, that's what we're going to see that sometimes things happen to us, to you and to me, that we may not always understand. But if we look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, he'll supply us with the grace, with the favor to get us through. So let's go ahead and read in our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. The word of God, the Apostle Paul, he says... I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man who in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from being becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, 
I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's awesome. So that's what we'll be looking at today. And we have three points. Point number one, Paul's boast. Point number two, Paul's thorn. Point number three, Paul's prayer. So the three Ps without a pod. Amen? Okay. I made that up, by the way. So let's look at point one, Paul's boast. So verse one, he says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. So for context, the Apostle Paul, he is the one who came to Corinth and he was preaching the gospel there, preaching in the Jewish synagogues and, and preaching among the Gentiles. For a year and a half, he founded this church. He watched God do a mighty work there and he, he loved these people so, so very, very much. But unfortunately, false teachers had infiltrated the ranks of these believers, and they were pointing people away from Jesus Christ, preaching a different gospel, and cutting down Paul, cutting down his authority. And so he's fighting for them. He has this godly jealousy over them. He's concerned about their walk with Jesus Christ. How does he fight for, him, for, for them? Well, in chapter 11... He speaks about all that he has gone through uh, to be able to get the gospel to the Corinthians. He says, look, I've been stoned, I've been beaten with rods, I've been shipwrecked, I've been flogged. These are my weaknesses. These are the things that I will brag about, the things that demonstrate to you that I love you, the things that will demonstrate to you that I'm concerned about you. And these are the things that demonstrate God's power and God's strength in my life. I mean, who gets beaten up? Who gets threatened? Who, gets, who is nearly killed and yet keeps on going with the same message? Nothing less than a man who is energized by the living God. And that's what he wants the Corinthians to see, that God is with him and that he loves them. Now, the false teachers that were infiltrating the ranks of the Corinthians, they would go on and on and on about their visions and about their revelations that they had experienced. They wanted the people to think much about themselves. And so Paul's, Paul says, hey, look, I've had some pretty cool experiences myself. So let's look at what he says here in verses 2 through 4. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. So he speaks about this heavenly experience that he had. He tells us very little about it. And he, he talks about it in the third person. He's, he's reluctant to tell them about it. He doesn't like to brag about himself and about his experiences. And what he says, he says, look, whether I was in the body, whether God just raptured me up to heaven, I have no idea. Whether I died and went to heaven, I don't know. All I know is that I was up in the third heaven above 
the atmosphere, above the stars, the place where God Almighty is. And he says, I heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. Now, I think there's something here for us, a beautiful insight in this little description that the Apostle Paul gives to us, and that is, heaven is a place that words cannot describe. God tells us all we need to know in the pages of his book, the Holy Bible. He says, essentially, there's no pain there, there's no sin, and there's no death. And who can really describe that? I can't describe that. That's what I'm surrounded by constantly. My life, my, my mom, my dad, my entire family. That's the story of our life. It, it's, it surrounds us. Sin, pain, death. So we cannot fathom what heaven will be like, a place without those things. But heaven is going to be heaven because our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, is going to be there. That's what makes heaven, heaven. We're going to see his face, his, his beautiful face that shines brighter than the sun. And his eyes, they burn with a, a flame of fire burning with passionate love for you and for me. You're going to see that and you're going to hear that voice, the voice of many waters, that, that still small voice that you've been hearing your entire life leading and guiding you on your Christian journey. You're going to hear it audibly. You're going to hear him speak to you, well done, good and faithful servant. And then you're going to fall down at the feet of this glorious risen Savior. And you're going to worship him in all of his majesty. That's heaven, folks. That's what this thing is all about. You remember Jesus in John chapter 17? He's praying to the Father. And this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, he says to his Father, he says, Father, I want those you have given me, us Christians, those who believe in me, to be with me where I am, to be with him in heaven. He prays that for us. And he says, and to see, to behold my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So if Jesus Christ prays that for us, guess what, folks? It's going to happen, and it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Words can't express that. So Paul says, hey, look, even if I could express that, express the things about heaven, I'm not permitted to. God has not allowed me to speak about it. And, and this reminds me of my children at Christmas time. They love Christmas because they're going to get a whole bunch of Christmas presents. That's what Christmas is all about for them, besides the birth of Jesus. Um, they're, they're longing for those, <laughs> I know, they're little, they're little, okay? They're, they're longing for their Christmas present, okay? To, to be able to rip those, uh, that wrapping off and, and to see what they got, but they only know a little bit about the present. They know it's about this big or this big, you know, depending on the present, and it's about this heavy, and it sounds like this, um, and if they could just open that gift right now. Just, they could just rip it off and just see it right now. You know, they're searching the entire house, looking under the bed, trying to find those gifts. They're in the trunk, though. <laughs> My son's here. He's got it now. 
if... <laughs> He's laughing, sorry. Distracted. Um, if they could just open those gifts right now, the joy that they would have, but you see, they're not permitted to. They're not allowed to. They have to wait for that special day. And in the same way, heaven is a gift from God to us. We only know a little bit about it. It's all wrapped up in the pages of this of scriptures. And we're longing for it, but we have to wait. We have to wait for that special day when Jesus Christ takes us to be with him. So this gift, it's, it's for God's family members. It's for God's children. And so I want to give a little shout out. Are you one of God's kids? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? God has a special promise. John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, yet to all who received him, who? Jesus. To those who believed on his name. He gives the right to become children of God. You become a child of God by putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And then you get to open the gift on that special day. So let's move on and let's look at verses 5 through 6. He says, I will boast about a man like that, a man who's been caught up to heaven, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. So he's saying here, I'll boast about a man who's experienced such honor from God. And I'll boast about my weaknesses in my life that display God's strength. And even though I can brag on myself, the Apostle Paul, the one who's been sent to the Gentiles, the one who started all these churches, I won't. Because that's not profitable for your spiritual edification. I want people to make their assessment of me based, not based on what I tell them that I've seen or what I tell them that I've experienced, but rather on how I live and how I speak. So, a little insight for us. Our lives as Christians should be living testimonies. Jesus says, hey, look, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And so we're supposed to be attractive to the people in the world, you know? The world is filled with, with sin, boring, plain, bland, sin, nothing but sin, 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 same old sin every single day. But we're the salt. We got faith. We got hope. We got trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know where we're going. We have assurance. The world doesn't have that. And so it's attractive to people. And we're the light. You know, the world is filled with darkness. People don't know where they're going, but we're the light. We know where we're going. We have our path set before us. That's attractive to people. You following me? Amen. So, so our conduct, the way we live, the way we speak, that should be drawing people to Jesus Christ. Just like the Lord said in, in Matthew 5, 16, He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Let's move on and let's look at point number two, our second P, Paul's thorn, verse seven. He says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan 
to torment me. So he says, hey, I was, I was given this thing. It was a, a gift. How could a thorn be a gift from God? Well, if you think about it like this, man has a sinful nature. Even us Christians, those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we, we have this new nature and, and we desire the Lord. We desire to honor him and to serve him and to follow him, but we're, we're still in this body of death. We still struggle and we still have this sin nature that we have to deal with. And that sinful nature that we have is prone to becoming prideful, to being puffed up, and to thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to. It's that look at me, it's that self-centered mentality. And this will always, 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 always lead you away from God, because God is meek, God is lowly, God is humble. You remember Satan. At one time, he was an angel. And he was in heaven, perhaps the worship leader, and he saw the Lord, and he heard his voice, and he was leading angels in, in praise and honor to God, but his heart was filled with pride. His heart was filled with sin, and he was cast out of the presence of God. God opposed him, and he has become the monster that we know today as the devil. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So this gift is to prevent conceit from rising up in the Apostle Paul. It's, you know, to prevent him from thinking, this is my ministry. You know, look at what I have done. Apostle Paul, international ministries. God wants to prevent that, which would negatively affect his relationship with the Lord. Now, the word thorn, the Greek word for thorn is the word skolops. And what it means is the sharp end of a tent stake. Not a berry bush, not a little prick in your skin, a little bit of blood. A tent stake driven into his body. Physical pain that he's suffering. And it's also a, a messenger of Satan to torment him. Now the word torment there in the Greek, it means to strike with the fist. So the Apostle Paul, he's being beaten up by the enemy. He's, he's, he's undergoing physical and emotional and spiritual distress. But God was allowing it and God was using it. And you know, the word, he, the, the scripture here, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us anything about this thorn, thorn. He doesn't describe it to us. He doesn't elaborate upon it for one reason I think that's so you and I me you all of us can relate to him so that we can draw comfort from this scripture I mean we all go through different trials we all have difficulties we all have our thorns that are simply unexplainable sometimes and absolutely evil but these thorns these things that we go through as human beings in this life, they can be profitable, they can be beneficial, and they can be used by our Good Shepherd for our good. Everything we go through, no matter what you're going through today, it serves a purpose in the economy of God. So maybe you're struggling with sickness, a physical infirmity. Maybe you've been dealing with it for a very long time. 
God says it's not going to go to waste. It, it, there's a purpose in it. You remember in John chapter 9, the disciples, they see this man who has this physical condition that renders him useless in this life. He's blind. He can't provide for himself. Uh, probably doesn't have a lot of friends. It's very, very difficult. And, and they ask the Lord, who sinned? Whose fault is this that this guy is like this? Why, is he, why does he have to be like this? Why does he have to suffer? And the Lord responds to the disciples. He said, this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So God, he's working in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your trial. He's working something there. He wants to display his glory. He's going to comfort you in that. Perhaps you're, you have an emotional sorrow in your life or you're going through a financial famine you remember in the book of genesis jacob the nation of israel is named after him he went through a lot he lost his beloved son joseph he lost him he thought that joseph was dead and then later on in his life he has a financial hardship. He's going through a famine. He can't provide for his family. What is he going to do? So all of these thorns are jabbed into his body. But all along, God was using these things to get Jacob where he wanted to be. And it all worked out for good in the end. He got his son back. The family was provided for. The nation of Israel exploded. You see, folks... God works everything for good. Maybe you've lost somebody in your life. You've lost a son. You've lost a daughter. Somebody you care about is away from the Lord. Or maybe you're in the midst of a financial famine and you don't know what you're going to do. God understands. God knows. And he says, look, I'm going to get you through this. I care about you. I'm your God. I'm your Father. Remember, Romans 8, 28. Apostle Paul says, and we know that in all things, every thorn, financial, emotional, physical, no matter what, all things, God, our Father, He works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, our tendency is to think that because we're going through hard times, well, that God, He's not around or that He doesn't care about us. Well, I remember my son, Evan. He's five now, but when he was a little baby, we used to carry him around in his car seat. You know, the one you could pull out of the car and you could carry it around by the handle. Well, we brought him in the house and we set him down in the living room. And we were standing right behind him. And he got really scared because he, he didn't know where we were. He was, he was strapped down. He couldn't move. He couldn't see us. It was a thorn. He was, he didn't, where's mom and dad at? But the whole time, folks, the whole time, we were standing right behind him. We were there. We, we didn't leave him. We didn't forget about him. We were right there. It was just for a second. We were watching him the whole time. And in the same way, in the midst of your thorn, in the midst of your difficulties and your trials, God is right there. He's standing right over you. He says, I'll never, ever, ever leave you. I'll never, ever 
ever forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's a win-win situation with God. No matter what happens, it's win-win. Always. Always. We need to allow these difficult situations in our life, these hard times, to draw us closer to the Lord, not further away. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were placed in a very difficult situation back in the book of Daniel. They had a decision to make. Honor the true and living God. Draw close to Him. Or forsake Him and bow the knee to an idol. If they chose to honor God, if they chose to draw near to Him, they would be cast into a fire. What a thorn. What a thorn. And they responded to that situation. You know, the king said, bow or be tossed into the fire. They said, hey, look, the God that we serve He's able to save us from that fire, from that thorn. And He's able to rescue us from your hand, Nebuchadnezzar, that tormenting demon from Satan. He's able to rescue us. But even if He doesn't take this thorn away, even if He doesn't silence that messenger of Satan, we will not bow down to you. And they were tossed into the fire. But what happened there? The Son of God met them. They were drawn closer to their Savior. And in the same way, in the same way, even if we have to endure a fiery furnace, even if we have to endure a thorn or a messenger of Satan, hang in there. Because you never know when the Son of God is going to appear and rescue you from that fire. Amen? Amen. Let's move on and look at point three of Paul's prayer. Verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So Paul has a very godly response, a very proper response to difficulty and hardship. He doesn't want pain. He doesn't want a tent stake driven into his flesh. He doesn't want to be sick. He doesn't want sorrow and difficulty in his life. I mean, who does? I don't. I know you guys don't. Amen? Amen. So what does he do? He goes to God in prayer. He understands that God is all-powerful and He has all the authority. And He could take that thorn away. He can silence that messenger of Satan and send him into the abyss. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He's overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death, as He contemplated what He was about to do for us. Die for the sins of the world. And what does He do? He goes to His Father in prayer. Now notice the Lord's response. Verse number 9. He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, my grace is sufficient for you, is what God says. You see, God, He's, he's a loving Father. He's very gentle and very tender with us. He understands what we're going through. And he says, look, I'll supply you with what you need to get you through this. My favor, my blessing will be with you. You're going to make it, kid, is what he's saying to us and what he's saying to the Apostle Paul. You remember Jesus? He's praying before the Father. He's thinking about the cross. And he says, if it's possible, if there's any other way, let this, let this cup pass from me. 
But there was no other way. He had to go through that. He had to suffer for us so that we could be saved. What happened? God the Father met with Jesus and strengthened him. His grace was sufficient for the Son of God to go through that difficult time. You see, and look at all the good. Look at all the good that happened because Jesus suffered, because Jesus went through all of that. We're all sitting here. We're all going to heaven because the Lord endured that cross and, and went and found that God's grace was sufficient for him. So, like the Apostle Paul and like the Lord Jesus Christ, we respond in the same way. We go to the Lord in prayer. You know, your thorn, whatever it is in your life, it, it might not last forever. You know, God has the power. He can rip that thorn out. And that messenger of Satan that you've been listening to, he can silence him. He has that ability. But even if it doesn't go away and you have to endure for a little while, remember the promise in Philippians 4.6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, whatever you're dealing with, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the God of peace, and the peace of God rather, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. A beautiful promise for us in this world. Hang on to that one. Now let's finish up the rest of verses, the rest of verse 9 and verse 10. So he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why. For Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So the Apostle Paul here, he's heard from the Lord. And so now he's rejoicing in the grace of God. And this reminds me of my house. At home, I go by one of the titles of Super Dad. Okay? <laughs> it's true. I have a t-shirt and everything that my kids made me. It's got their handprints on it. My dad's better than your dad. The whole nine yards. You see, to them, to my kids, I have super strength. I can do anything. And I know everything. They can come to me with all of their questions, and I have the answer. And I love it. I love it, love it, love it when my kids recognize their weaknesses, when they recognize something that they can't do. And then they come to me, and they say, Dad... Dad, can you open this bottle for me? Can you open my candy bar? Can you take me to the park? Because I can't go by myself. You know? Or when they look at each other and they say, Don't worry, Dad can do it. Dad's got power. Dad's got strength. Dad knows the answer. See, you see, my kids, they're bragging on their dad. They're rejoicing in their father. They're dependent on me in their, in their weaknesses. And they're strong. They're able with dad by their side. And that's just like us. We're the children of God, folks. We're not the adults of God. So we're all filled, all filled. There we go. All right, come on. So we're all filled with flaws and with weaknesses, but we can rejoice in our Heavenly Father. Dad, our Father, He can do it. 
He is able. He's got all the power in the universe. We're strong with our Heavenly Father by our side. Just like Philippians 4.13 says, it says, I, you, me, all of us, we can do all things. We can do everything through Him, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through our Heavenly Father who gives us strength. So Christ, he has the power, he has the authority, he is, he is able and he's willing to help you in your time of need. And, and because of this, Paul found that, that he could rejoice with a tent stake stuck in his body. He could rejoice even though he was hearing a messenger of Satan tormenting him because of the effect it had on him. It caused him to be dependent on the Lord. And he got to see how God was going to work everything out. Now, I remember a story, closing up here. A few years back, I worked for a company. And what we would do is we would go into homes. I would go into homes by myself. And I would set people up for free weatherization measures to be able to save money on their electrical bill. It was awesome. So I'd give people free refrigerators, free weather stripping, free light bulbs. They loved me. There was no charge. I just, I came over and I was giving them all this stuff. I was like Santa Claus. (laughs) And I got to go to perhaps five different people's houses a day. It was awesome. And I was Christian. And I'd be there for up to an hour a day. And so, you know, you know how things go. We started talking about Jesus, or at least I did, <laughs> some of the time. And I had some really awesome experiences. One day, two people got saved in the same day. It was just glorious. I was telling everybody about the Lord. Well, it caught up with me. One day, I was sitting at home, and I got a phone call, and it was my boss. And the first thing they said is, you're suspended from work for telling people about Jesus. You're not going to get paid. And it's indefinite. We don't know how this is going to work out. And I said, okay, thank you. And I hung up the phone, and I was like, okay, I have a decision here. I'm either going to freak out and be like, what's up, God? I was telling them about you, and now what am I getting? Now what? I can't even support my family. I lost my job. I had a decision. This was a thorn that was just jabbed in my flesh. And a messenger of Satan, look what, look what happened. Look what happened to you. You're telling people about Jesus. Now you can't support your family. So it was a trial. But I decided right there, you know what? This is my weakness. I don't know what I'm going to do. I got nowhere else to turn but God. And I just put my trust in him. And I, and I, and I got to see how it worked out. During this period of time that I was suspended, someone who had no idea what was going on in our lives gave us $2,000. They had no idea that I was suspended from work. They just, they came into a large sum of money and they said, hey, look, I want to bless you guys. So they gave us $2,000. Well, after being suspended from, for two weeks, my work brought me on and they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't fire me. They just kind of reprimanded me and said, no more of that stuff. But I calculated it out that if I would have worked those two weeks full-time, and got paid for it with no taxes taken out, guess how much money I would have made? $2,000. You see? His power was made perfect in my weakness. I chose to rejoice 
in my father. I, I knew that dad could do it. I knew that he was going to see me through this, and he did. And he'll do the same for you, wherever you're at. He's dad. Just trust in him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, that you are so amazing. You love us so much with that everlasting love. You've lavished it upon us in Jesus Christ. And you know that, you know everything that each and every single person is going through in this room. You are intimately acquainted with each of us. And my prayer for each person, Lord, is, is that they would find your grace is sufficient for them in this time of need. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jim. Minister to me. I don't want to think about it too much because I, I don't want to lose composure. Awesome word. Now, communion time, we remember Christ's death on the cross for you and for me. If you were the only human being on the planet, you'd be lost because of sin, because we're sinners. Christ would have died for you alone. He loves you that much. And so what the Lord did dying on Passover, he gave the Passover before he went to the cross, and he said, you know, this really is a symbol, this whole thing, this whole meal is just a way to help you guys understand what is going on with the death of the blood of the Lamb and the blood of the Lamb for your forgiveness. So think of what I did on the cross as a meal, a meal that, you know, as bread and drink keeps you alive physically. Well, what I did on the cross, if a man take that in spiritually, that will make you alive and it will be eternal life. You will be born again, not because you eat the bread and drink the cup, but because in faith you have taken in what Jesus did on that cross in a personal way to you. You've gone way past the thing of, I believe there's a God out there somewhere, to a personal experience of trusting God, opening your heart and letting his Holy Spirit come in. And that's what he's saying. Okay, so picture the bread as my broken body, broken for you in the cup, as blood that will save you. And then you ingest that, you take that into your heart, and you will be saved. And so we're going to remember the Lord's death by passing out first the bread. We ask that you hold the matzah in your hand and wait until everybody's served, and then we'll eat together. I'll come back up, and we'll pray, we'll pray and we'll eat. And then the cup will be passed to you. We'll pray, we'll sing in between, and then we'll drink together. Now, all you have to do is be a believer. If you're not a believer, but you wish you were, all you have to do is say in your heart, Dear God, forgive me. I believe all of this. I'm in. Wash me clean. I mean, that was my sinner's prayer was this. I looked up in the sky and I said, God, you're right. That was my sinner's prayer. I mean, I didn't have a Christian there to lead me. All I said was, God, you're right. I'm wrong. That was enough. So if you do want to participate and you don't, 
know the Lord yet, you can just bow your head and say, Lord, you're right, I'm wrong. I'll receive. I'll let you pay my way. And you don't have to go to this church or be a member or anything like that. You just have to believe and have a willing heart. If you're uncomfortable for any reason, you're not yet a Christian, or you're just uncomfortable for whatever reason, decline simply from being served, and that's fine. All right? And so first, here comes, here come the ushers. They're going to serve you the matzo. We're going to sing. <laughs>